Welcome to Twice Upon a Time, where every week Roger and I will do a deep dive into the fantasy adventure drama Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time aired on ABC between 2011 and 2018. Despite being off the air for five years, sticks with you. Roger and I talked about it so much, we decided to make a podcast about it. If you'd like to watch along with us, you can stream Once Upon a Time on Disney+. Plus. How did you find Once Upon a Time, Roger? So many years ago when it came out, I had a friend who was into fairy tales, and she told me to check out this show on ABC. Figured I'd give it a chance, because I know a lot of these characters. Are you familiar with some of the classic fairy tales, whether it's Snow White or uh, Rumpelstiltskin even? And it's a show, it's similar to a different show if you ever heard of Grimm, so it's just kind of like fairy tales in a more modern setting. So I gave it a try, and I was kind of hooked from day one. And I really, I watched it all the way through till completion, and I enjoyed the show. Um, Chelsea, how'd you find out about it? Um, well, um, Roger is my married to my cousin, um, so I used to hang out there a lot, and I came up one day to find him and his friend Tony um, having a heated discussion about something, which I assumed to be sports, and it turns out it was Once Upon a Time, which I had never heard of. Um, they convinced me to watch it, so I did. Um, and Do you recall the heated discussion? I don't remember what it was about. It was likely during season two. I think I started watching... In season, I mean, I, I started from the beginning, but I think season three was on at the time that I started watching. Who was the friend that introduced you to this? Alicia. So she loves oh, fairy tales. Like, okay. that's always been her thing. She uh, she was the one who was into Grimm. She really was like, oh, this is really cool. You know, Evil Queen, all that stuff. And I was like, I'll give it a chance. And I, I did like it. Um, oddly enough, we, we used to, like, call each other afterwards and talk about it. Like, every episode on, like, Sunday night for, like, at least, like, two seasons. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I really, I mean, it's really great characters. I love how many badass ladies there are in the show. Um, I am addicted to Lost-like storytelling. Same writers as Lost um, with the flashbacks. Season one is a mystery, which I fucking love. And I'm here for the melodrama. I'm here for all of the melodrama. <laughs> now, Chelsea, you said you love it. For the listeners, can you tell us how many times you've watched it through completion? Um, do I think that Once Upon a Time is the best show I've ever seen? Absolutely not. Is it my favorite show? A hundred percent. I've probably seen it seven to eight times all the way through. What's the last time you've watched it through to completion? Uh, well, to prepare for beginning this podcast, I watched it about two months ago. Um, last year alone, I watched it two times through. In the same calendar year? Yeah. For clarification, I've watched it twice. As it came on live, and then I watched it about three years ago, I started and watched it a second time and finished probably during your seventh finish. I finished my second watch through. So I'm now watching it through on the third time with a more critical eye and actually taking notes this time. You've either seen or just okay with hearing the spoilers about. And while we won't give away like specific plot details for a show, we are going to talk about things that happen in the future. For example, the way that they act, the way that characters dress, how they interact, some plot inconsistencies as we get into later seasons. So just be forewarned that if you're listening and you hear season two stuff, don't be super surprised. We'll try our best to avoid like major plot points so you're not ruined for the later thing. But also, fair warning, we are going to talk about the future. Um, so we're going to go through this show at least for season one, episode by episode. There are 154 episodes of Once Upon a Time. Uh, so we're not going to promise that we are going to go through every episode, episode by episode. But we're going to start that way for season one. Um, <clears throat> in each episode, I'll give a brief synopsis of what the episode was about. Roger and I will talk about our first thoughts, whether we liked it, 
Then we're just going to dive into kind of a free-flowing discussion, uh, which will surely get heated as we disagree regularly about Once Upon a Time. And we will choose the winner of the episode. We may occasionally do deep dives on characters. Uh, we're also going to count a few things that we have noticed while watching and or that we think are funny. Uh, how many times I cry is one of them. I cry regularly while watching this show. Maybe my favorite thing to count is going to be the Chelsea ch cry tracker. Mm -hmm. um, we're also going to track magic beans for a reason that is truly hilarious. But every time they use a magic bean, we're going to track that. And we'll talk about it later when we learn more about the show. Uh, they also use the phrase, it's less than a day's ride from here, like about everything. So I just really need to understand what a map of the Enchanted Forest looks like. Um, and also, what is the pace of a day's ride? I think would be helpful. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Um, and then we're going to track when they should have listened to Emma. Emma has this sort of superpower where she can tell when everyone, anyone is lying. Uh, and they don't listen to her for some reason, even though she has this superpower. So uh, a lot of the conflict may have been avoided if they had just listened to Emma. And then probably the only thing that I would specifically track is you will hear me use the phrase top five moment, top five episode, top five gold moment. And I'll probably say that about 15 times. So Great. Diving into the synopsis, so we watched the pilot right before this. The episode is just called Pilot. I think that if they could have renamed it, they probably would have called it Welcome to Storybrooke. Uh, so it establishes that we're looking at classic fairy tale characters that we know, or we think we know, uh, and they've had their happy endings stolen, and they're trapped in our world where time is completely frozen and they have no idea who they are. Henry, a precocious little kid, comes to Boston to find his biological mother, Emma, and bring her back to Storybrooke to save all the happy endings, just like in a storybook. Uh, Snow White and Prince Charming, back in the Enchanted Forest, are trying to figure out how to beat Regina, the Evil Queen's curse. And we get to meet Rumpelstiltskin for the first time, who tells them that their child will be the savior of them all. The Blue Fairy then asks Geppetto to build a magical wardrobe to send the Savior and Snow White to our world to save everyone on her 28th birthday. But Snow goes into labor before they can get into the wardrobe, and the baby has to go through alone just as the curse arrives. Emma tries to leave Storybrooke, sees a wolf, and crashes and ends up in jail, but Henry runs away again. So Emma, Regina, and the Sheriff team up to find him. We meet Mary Margaret, who's Snow White's cursed self for the first time. She's also Henry's teacher. We learn that Henry is really lonely, and Mary Margaret gave him that storybook to give him hope, a theme of Once Upon a Time that we will talk about an awful lot. We also learn that Prince Charming is in a coma at the hospital. Henry tries to convince Emma to stay and tells her that Snow and Charming are her parents. And Regina feels really threatened by uh, Emma, <laughs> and is uh, because she's Henry's biological mother, and threatens to destroy her, literally a quote. And Emma decides to stay, and it makes the frozen time in the town move forward again. So that's that's what happens in the first episode. So that was a lot. We will These synopses will be shorter uh, in other episodes, but a lot happens in this first episode, and you got to establish a lot of characters. Also, Once Upon a Time is confusing as fuck, so uh, don't think about the timelines too much. I'd like to point out, you're hearing someone who has watched it seven times tell you that it's confusing. When we just watched the episode, I've seen it twice, and I had to ask many questions. The timelines are as circular as circular can get, so don't be surprised if you're asking questions like, what happened, or 
that doesn't make sense. You just got to go with it. Just roll with it. So, Roger. So, Roger, did you like this episode? I love this episode. It's top five episode. It's great. Every episode of Once Upon a Time is a top five episode. I mean, in the season one, they are my favorite episodes. Um, I enjoy the curse a ton. I think it's a really good plot point. I like having the flashbacks. I think this establishes a ton of character behavior that, oddly enough, doesn't continue on throughout the series. Like, I took notes, for example. Rumble's very menacing the first time we meet him. He's really not that menacing throughout the rest of the time. Like, he can be menacing when you've crossed him, but he isn't this, like, spooky, scary boogeyman who, like, reaches his claw fingers through the thing. Like, that's just not the Rumble we know. He's more of, like, an infant a trickster than he is, like, a boogeyman. He- it's weird I noticed when he was in the prison that they used this, like, effect where kind of they, like, speed up time a little bit and he's, like, moving a little too quickly. Like, they never do that ever again for any character, not even him. That seemed to be implying that there was a consequence for them not um, honoring their part of the deal. Mm. That's when it happens is when he says, we had a deal, we had a deal, and then he, like, speeds up time. That's, and I think I asked, is there some sort of consequence when you break a deal with Rumple? Oh. And so maybe that's Could what be. it was and no one tests it. David... Boy, David is toxic masculinity in this episode. David is Prince Charming. Yes, also. for clarification. I think he threatens to cut off Rumpel's hand. He immediately wants to go to war without any order of like second thing. Like, no, let's just send some soldiers. We're going to kill her. That's not who he is most of the time. Like, that's actually more like James, who we'll run into in later seasons. But he's not who that is. Um, it's true. Although, I don't, I would not call threatening to cut off someone's hand who was trying to grab your baby... A toxic masculinity. He wasn't trying to grab the baby. He was trying to touch the belly of the pregnant wife. Like, this wasn't like taking a baby out of his hand when he's fighting two swordsmen off one-handed with a baby in his arm later in the episode. <laughs> true, true. Which was also ridiculous. Ridiculous, I mean, but awesome. Awesome. Don't get me wrong. Prince Charming, handle your business. That's the best father move ever. But my man fought off two knights wearing... It's because of the stupid fuzzy hats. If they had better hats, the Dark Knights probably could have won. If they're not fuzzy hats, the the guards, the dark guards, whatever they're called. Black Knights? Black Knights, there you go. Um, they have fringe on their helmets, which is truly ridiculous. And not something that goes away later. They always have fringe on their helmets. At least they're consistent. Mm. A Snow, Snow White, the like eternal optimist and all about hope, is just a fatalist in this episode. She's just sitting there at the round table and like, eh, I'm resigned. I can't do anything about it. Even though a theme of this, as you said, is there's always a way. It's true. Although she does find her hope at the end of the episode when Emma makes it through the wardrobe. While she's clutching her dead husband's he's lifeless not dead. body. He's she's in a coma. She thinks he's dead. <laughs> she definitely thinks he's dead. And that's just the Enchanted Forest. Let's talk about what's happening in the real world now. We meet Emma. When she set up how Emma is uh, introduced to us. Yeah, um, love love Emma's introduction in this smoking hot dress. Smoking hot pink dress. I think it's red. Whatever. Uh, also, can we talk about Jennifer Morrison's arms for a minute? <laughs> Just like, does she pump iron all the time? Like, there that that is consistent throughout the show. You season three, she wears a tank top almost the whole time. You see her badass arms. She does pull ups at one point. Like, who can do pull ups? Come on. I mean, when you had to survive on the street, right? And she's it's a bell true. bondsman. She can fight. It makes sense that she's kind of ripped. It's true. Um, but she sets up this really great uh, fake date to catch someone that she's that skipped bail. Um, uses some great bell bonds person tricks. Bell bonds person, not bail bondsman. Um, and we learn that she has no family and that she's a loner. Okay, let's let's pause there. 
I'm supposed to believe that Jennifer Morrison at 28 years old in that dress has no friends. I've, I can accept a lot of things at once upon a time. That is the biggest leap of faith that I'm supposed to, that, that smoking hot blonde, no one likes. It's not that no one likes her, probably. It's that she's prickly and that she doesn't want to let anyone in. She has no experience of anyone ever keeping their promises to her. She grew up in a foster home. Of course, she builds walls and keeps people out. Yeah, then you just have fake friends. but it does set up now here's my one question when she blows out the candle and she makes a wish is that a coincidence or is it like her wish comes true i mean that is a that is a theme of the entire show so she was destined to come back on her 28th birthday to storybrooke to begin the final battle and free everyone so did she make the wish and that made henry appear or was it sort of just like this was always going to happen to her so the wish it wasn't really a wish it was that it was like fated to occur and let's talk about henry henry is 10 years old henry is 10 years old henry sneaks out of school because this is school day right i don't think they Mm -hmm. established this is a weekend he steals his teacher's credit card he catches a bus out of town goes to boston gets a cab catches a cab finds tracks his biological mother down Gets into her house and convinces her to come home with him. Yes, that is what he does. It is probably my vote for most ridiculous moment in this episode. Uh, this kid could teach a seminar <laughs> to men on how to pick up women. That is ridiculous. No one, no one pulls that off except for this 10-year-old kid who's like, yeah, just come home with me. She's like, okay, <laughs> got it, kid. He does very convincingly tell her that she is his mother, which she is. Um, but he also, like, it's important to know that Storybrooke doesn't just have buses. He, like, walked for a long time out of Storybrooke to catch a bus. I assume that Storybrooke, Maine is, like, in northern Maine. Like, I think it's pretty far away from Portland, Maine, which is in southern Maine. And Portland, Maine is two hours away from Boston. So Henry, this was like a full day trip for Henry. Also, he walked through town. Yeah. While he should have been in school. Yeah. Nobody noticed the 10-year-old boy just walking by himself in a town that's kind of one of those small towns where I feel like you probably know everybody's name. they all in your business. He just vanished. And everyone was like, I wonder where he's going. Oh, well. Let's let the mayor's kid just walk off. I think my other vote for most ridiculous moment is when they return to town in Emma's car and they run into Henry's therapist, Dr. Hopper. Uh, and the the doctor seems concerned. He's like, Henry, who is this? What are you doing? It's very late. You're out by yourself. He tells him that it's his biological mom and uh, that she's taking him home. And then Dr. Hopper is just like, oh, okay. <laughs> No big deal. That sounds great. Yep. You've been missing all day. We now see you in the presence of an adult we don't recognize in the slightest. No one knows who this person is. Ah, that sounds fine. Eh, it's safe. It's no big deal. It's not like it looks like kidnapping in the slightest. A point that even Emma references. I think Henry says, like, I'll just pretend like you kidnapped me. And she's like, and they would believe that. Yep. They absolutely would. Um, there is a lot of that in this show and you just have to you just have to roll with it and feel it and believe it henry is the truest believer so if he wants to get to boston to find his mom he will because if just because you believe something doesn't make it true that's absolutely right well then let's talk about the next part 
Let's well, talk Roger, about... you did not ask me if I enjoyed this episode. Well, we know you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> we know I would you... not say that this is a top five episode for me, but I do really? like it a lot. Um, Hold on, let's unpack that real quick. You would not put this as a top five episode all time? I don't think so. Really? Top ten? Maybe top ten, yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, I think it's a really good episode. I think it does a really good job of introducing what is a completely batshit <laughs> premise. Like... There had to be a curse, and there's going to be a savior that comes on her 28th birthday, and we're going to put her through a war, magical wardrobe that Geppetto and Pinocchio built. Like, that's it's ridiculous. They establish it very well. And not only that, they also begin to set up the curse versions of these characters and Emma in the real world. I think they do a really good job of that. I like this episode a lot. It really got me hooked. Uh, the fla- I mean, the flashbacks instantly instantly pulled me in what do you think the writer's room was like when they were trying to pitch this episode i something i do appreciate about once upon a time i will not say that they had like a a long-term plan for this show but it's very clear to me that every season or at least half season has a plan like they have a plan for what's going to happen um and they're pretty consistent at least within that half season there's some inconsistencies later they make things up that don't necessarily make sense or they write things off (laughs) magic beans um but i do think the writer's room here like they probably just shout out ridiculous ideas and write them on a board and then be like that sounds good let's do that you said we like to track how often you cried how many times did you cry this episode? I cried twice. In what, this were the, episode. what were the scenes that got to you in this episode? Um, so <clears throat> the first one that got to me was when Snow gives birth and has to give up her baby to give her her best chance. Give them their best chance is a phrase that gets me in this show repeatedly. And when she's just sobbing in the bed after Charming takes the baby away, that that really. That really hits me hard. Uh, I also remember once reading, so the writers of the show are the same, some of the same writers as Lost. And they, I once read an article about how Lost is all about fathers and this show is all about mothers. And they set that up right away in this episode. And I really like the contradiction, not contradiction, the marrying, complimenting of the flashbacks in the present day. This is sort of like the opposite situation. Snow has to give up her baby and Emma has to face what happened when she did give the up her baby. The consequences of giving up her baby. Uh, so that one that one got me. I would, not a full out sob, just, just a little tearing. A little tear jerker right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it gets me again sort of in that, that uh, complimentary scene when Emma's talking to Henry about growing up in the foster system and how she had a family until she was three and then they gave her back when they had her own their own kid. That is just like horrific. Yeah, that one, I have to admit, that one stung. Like, I don't remember that one until we just saw that. I couldn't, you could rationalize why Charming and Snow did what they did. Yeah. The other one just seems so cruel for no reason. Like, oh, we got our own. Okay, be gone. Like, you just. You just don't do that. It's not okay. Unfortunately, Uh, we never meet that family. I would have loved to see how bad that must be the most evil family on the planet. I think another thing that Emma cries in that scene, and Emma almost never cries. Like, she's she's got some emotional walls that are pretty hard to break down. And it's kind of amazing that we hit them in episode one. That's also partially because the actress isn't the greatest at emoting. <laughs> I say this. 
I think Jennifer Morrison is a fine actress. She's not great at necessarily expressing emotion the best. She wasn't great at this in House. She's not great. In a show that is all about emotion and motherhood, you look at Mary Margaret's actress, you look at Regina's actress, they really convince you when they are enraged or they're sad or whatever emotion. And with Emma, you kind of get stone-faced like, I am that girl from Twilight. I have one emotion. It's the same emotion every single time because I'm a badass. This is a thing that Roger and I disagree on. We've already bumped into it. I, I, I agree. Jennifer Morrison is a fine actress. I do not think that she is the best actress, especially compared to Lana Perea as Regina. Like, or Jennifer nothing. Goodwin as Snow. Um, nothing to compare to that goddess. Um, <clears throat> but I do think that it's part of her character to not be able to emote well. I agree with that. But that probably was because, you're like... You're going to be smart and write a character into a way that they can actually do, right? Like, you wouldn't be like, do all this emoting. Well, she's only okay in emoting. How about we write her a character that doesn't emote? How would you feel if you were in the foster system and you had a family until you were three and then they gave you up? I would be enraged and I would create a curse that took all the happy endings away from everybody else so I could get revenge. I empathize with Regina. I get it. Let's, speaking of Regina, let's talk about Regina for a little bit. Yeah, uh, Regina is unquestionably my favorite character in this entire show. Period. Uh, period. Wow. No question. Best best arc, great actress, always given 100%. She has the best wardrobe, hands down. Her costumes are A+. Whoever did her wardrobe designing. The, all of the clothes in Once Upon a Time, actually. I think they do a really good, good job with uh, what they look like in the Enchanted Forest and like how that comes out when they're in Storybrooke. I, I think, like, Regina dresses completely differently in Storybrooke, but I also think it's fitting for who she is. As yeah, but her attire tells you exactly who she is. Yes. Whether it's Madame Mare or the Evil Queen or, you know, at the times as her character changes, her wardrobe changes. Yeah. She stops dressing like Madame Mare and she starts being a little bit more down-to-earth and human. Or when she's not the Evil Queen, like, she still wears fancy stuff, but it's not Evil Queen fancy, like, hello, you know I'm, the, you know, the Evil Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I... I love Regina. I don't know that this is like a top 10 Regina episode. Uh, we learn a bit about her. She's clearly very threatened by Emma, which I, I guess I probably would be if I adopted a kid and then uh, someone just showed up at my door with my kid and it turned out to be his biological mom. Would you threaten to destroy them? I, I don't think I would ever use the phrase, I will destroy you just at all for any reason. I mean, there's context in which I would see that would be valid. But it does, it also does help to establish, because at this point you, like, don't really know, like, you know that Regina cast a curse, but you don't know that she's not under the curse at this point. I mean, you could assume that, but, like, you don't actually know that she retains all of her memories. Like, you don't know any of that. I would say Regina is the only person that I assume knows something is going on. Like, she seems awake-ish, to use that term, whereas everyone else seems like they're just living a normal life. Yeah, you don't know what exactly she knows, but you know that she is more aware than everyone else. Like, she's in charge. You know, we'll run into one more character who may also be in charge, but she does seem like the person who is kind of playing puppet master right now. Um, This character's very good, but I think they pivoted later on and decided that we want to redeem her because she did not seem redeemable at the beginning. The things that she does just seem cartoon villain level of bad. That's interesting. I always assumed that she would be redeemed. Partially, you have, having not watched Lost, like a, a, a theme of Lost is redemption. That's what yeah. it's all about. There's a lot of 
really bad or not great people that find some degree of redemption. And I assume that that would be the case here too. And it is. Yep, it is. (laughs) Um, But I also, interesting that you describe Regina as a puppet master. Obviously she engineered this curse and it's her curse. But she seems very out of control with what is occurring in this episode, which is partially why she's so pissed. And you had commented on that scene when they uh, have to go see Mary Margaret because they find out that Henry stole her credit card to get to Boston and find out who his mom was. And the look of contempt on Regina's face and the way that she says, his teacher, you just she's pissed. She doesn't know what's going on. I mean, I'd be freaked out. It feels like her curse is falling apart. Which makes sense why I said she's a puppet master. She's had this control. And for the first time in 27 years, that has been threatened. Got no strings to hold me down. No strings attached. I mean, like, legitimately, right? (laughs) So she seems like someone who is fighting desperately to retain control of her son, of her city, of her curse, of her happiness. So I kind of maybe understand why she says that will destroy you, because it feels like Emma's trying to destroy what she brought in her mind. But boy, it just really seems like she went over the top for this one. And she dials it back later on, whereas it starts to get explained and you get it. But like this right now, you're like, oh, you're the cartoon bad guy. Well, and I think something that is very inconsistent, and I don't know if they fully intended, but at the end of their, at at the end of Emma and Regina's sort of sparring match, Emma asks, do you love Henry? And Regina says, of course I love him. And Emma gets this look on her face like she thinks Regina is lying. And Regina is not lying. She loves Henry. But it sounded like she was lying when she said that. So that was, that scene is what made me think that she didn't at the time Mm. love Henry and it was of course I love him because he's my son not yes I absolutely love him I think it was more so part of at the time I'm a villain so I'm treating everyone badly as opposed to no I actually really do love my son and I would do whatever it takes to protect him including doing horrible things interesting I agree with that but I do think I think that that is a writing inconsistency I don't think that they later I do not think they mean for that to be the case for Regina I mean, they have her do some things to Henry, as we'll come up on, that are almost unforgivable. Now, they do explain this a little bit because, you know, broken people break other people, hurt people, hurt other people. When you you realize the kind of childhood she went through, her only role model, unfortunately, ended up being someone who does horrible things to her. So she probably thought this is the way you're supposed to raise a child. Um, But yeah, I think at the time in which they did this, I don't know that a redemption arc was planned for her. She may have done like a sacrifice, but I think when they did this, they were like, yeah, you're just the evil queen and you're bad. So, and and she convinces us, like I'm convinced this woman is the devil. She's, everything she's done so far is bad. There's not a single good thing she's done. Also, we see Graham and boy, he, he's the first of what I call the weak men. He's always in the background. He looks like one of her puppet helpers. Like he kind of reminds me, and maybe there's a parallel of like the Black Knights. She's just there to do his, her, you know, her bidding. That is interesting. I can't I can't wait to talk about that later when Graham is featured more specifically because I agree, he's very much in the background. He literally does Regina's bidding. But I think he makes some pretty bold choices later. He does. In the pilot episode is where I think he's yeah. a background and then he starts to get his own yeah. sense of agency. I would love to talk for a minute about the very bold choice to make Snow White and Prince Charming the center of this TV show. Snow White is arguably the most boring of the Disney princesses. Absolutely, don't be giving me that face. Sleeping Beauty has one trait, that she sleeps. She sings for a bit, too, and there's some, there's some sassy fairies. 
Her name is literally that she's sleeping. Her name is Aurora. <laughs> what is she most known for? Sleeping. There we go. Yeah, okay. You ever um, heard a girl go, you know what, Mommy? When I grow up, I want to be a sleeping princess. No, it's true. But I think they've done a lot. I mean, both Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. Very, they're not strong, badass ladies. No. And they have turned at least Snow White into a very strong, badass lady in this show. Also, the incredibly real chemistry between Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas is, like, you can, like, see it in the first episode, like, immediately. Which, for listeners that do not know, they are married in real life. They met on the show and got married, and they have two children, and they're adorable. In fact, I actually think that I said this, best couple by far. No one tops them in the seven seasons. You can see it. They really... I think they actually make the other couples look bad. <laughs> For the most... There's only one other couple that I actually think has real, like, good chemistry. And we'll get to them in about two, three years. But all the other ones look fake. Like, they... You can tell they just enjoy one another. Their conversations seem more natural. Like, they have disagreements, but they have disagreements the way that, like, a couple has disagreements. Not like, I didn't tell you this dumb thing because we're in a sitcom, so we're going to fight about this. When, like, they're just like, no... I don't want to do this. I need to do this. Okay, we're going to disagree, and then we come to a consensus. Like adults. And it's great. I love it. It's it's actually one of my favorite things. The true love's kiss is quite funny. Apparently, you feel or you they, see They call it, it a pulse. Pulse. Um, so I think that you can both see the rainbow pulse and feel it when someone shares true love's kiss, which is the rarest magic of all. But don't worry. You'll see it repeatedly throughout the show. It's rare, and it can do almost everything. It cannot revive you from the dead, despite Snow's chances or attempts to revive uh, Charming. That's not the first time we will see that happen. No, no, it's not. Yeah. The, I, I think we talked about A Ride's Day From Here. I believe a the show... A Day's Ride. A Day's from Ride From Here. <laughs> Thank you. And the show opens with David riding a horse. Do you think he was about a day's ride from the castle? I think he was He was probably... Well, he was riding to the forest to find Snow White in her That's glass right. coffin. Um, because she was under a sleeping curse. Uh, and he rides across that weird land bridge that I have no idea how they would build in the Enchanted Forest. Uh, that would require some engineering that I, I don't believe exists. I just assumed forest. it naturally was built. It's like a natural sandbar that has been paved for horse riding. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> of course. Okay. I'm willing to suspend disbelief to believe that concerning all of the other things I have to suspend disbelief for, like Henry in general. So, yeah, I'm just going to say it was a natural sandbar that was paved for horseback riding. It's also one of the only times that you see Charming in a truly, like, princey outfit. It's It's got velvet on it. It's made of velvet. It's not the only time you see it's it. It's one of the only times. Yeah, you see it later with um, when you get his introduction story. Okay, yep, yeah. yep. Um, but yeah, oh, and I, you might see it later on in a couple seasons when they go to Camelot, but that might be it. They, he doesn't... But actually, that's part of his charm, yeah. is that despite being a prince and being royalty, he doesn't really treat himself as if he's better than everyone. He's happy to just dress like a normal shepherd boy, which, you know, kind of endearing. Yeah, it is endearing. That's basically all of the main characters, sans one key character that we have not touched yet. Your favorite. I love this character. He is my favorite character. Um, that is Mr. Gold, a.k.a. Rumpelstiltskin. He's great. I can't, I could speak an hour about how much I love Rumpelstiltskin. Though I don't love him in this episode as Rumpel. I mean, he's in the episode for like a minute. That's all it takes for Rumpel to <laughs> I've seen him steal scenes in 30 seconds. So it's not like it's a lack of time. He's just... And I think I mentioned this earlier. He's just like this bizarre, um, 
weird time shifting, overly clawed, you know, like boogeyman monster, as opposed to kind of what we learn Rumple is, which is I just make deals and, you know, I'm five steps ahead of you and all those kind of things, which is what I love. But Mr. Gold, he's great. He, when he shows up at the end at the very end, you're like, this guy knows something. And what I like is that you don't really know what he does and does not know. He doesn't reveal anything. You have no idea what his information is, but you know that this guy is in charge. And, and I think it's Granny and Ruby fear him. That's the one thing you get. They fear him. Not just respect him. They're afraid. I feel like we get sort of like a comical villain. Like he owns the town. What does that even mean to own a town? He owns everything in town. He paid, Granny pays rent to him and she has to make sure that it's the right amount so he's not mad. I do believe he owns all the buildings in town. That's nuts. That's not a thing that people do. Yes, you're right. <laughs> That's the line that we should draw in Once Upon a Time where there are magical curses, boys going across the state by themselves. It's the fact that there's a landlord who owns everything. Like that, maybe not in a town, but it's not unreasonable that one person could own all of the buildings in a town. I guess. I guess that's true. Yeah. And I mean, also, you know, let's say he made like the good deals, or I think it could be they all sold them to him, right? They paid a price, which would make sense that he would make a deal with them. And then later on, they regretted it because that's what Mr. Gold does. Let's talk about his clothing, though. Yeah. He's such a good dresser later on. Very sharp dresser. Very nice suits. He is wearing a checkered shirt. This man flew in, put on a tablecloth, grabbed his dad's suit, and threw it on. And I'm like, who's that? Like, I didn't even recognize him. I was like, that's not how Rumpel dresses. Well, even Rumpel wears a three-piece suit, usually. And this was, like, a suit jacket over jeans. I mean, it was just so put like not put together right it looked cheap it looked quick like this is not how he is going to look for the rest of the entire series like you never see him dressed down like this even when he's like beat up and bloodied he's still in a nice suit yeah uh, this was an interesting stylistic choice <laughs> i don't know does, does he have his cane i don't recall he does have his cane yeah okay because you don't see him walking a ton yeah um he just sort of appears behind emma yeah, which I thought was an interesting choice. It tells choice. her that she has a lovely name, which is very fitting for the character of Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, it is. But he's great. I, I say, from the beginning, you establish that... And this is actually the episode where I went, this is going to be my favorite character. I really love... The way that Rumpelstiltskin as Rumpelstiltskin, the dark one, uh, he the, his overacting, like on purpose, it, like he, he the character, he the person Rumpelstiltskin is acting as the dark one is hilarious. Like he even makes fun of himself for it later at some point. Um, I think Hook makes fun of him too. They, they Everyone does because yeah. it's silly, but also scary and creepy and great. Well, and, it shows you how powerful he is. I can act a fool, but you know better than a cross man. Yeah. And then Mr. Gold is much more understated, but still quite sinister. So his, he's an interesting one because, like, there's always, like, an undercurrent that he might do something bad. But it's not like he ever threatens you. He doesn't say he's going to beat you up. He doesn't say he's going to, you know, take back your house. But it definitely feels like he might. I want you to remember that in, like, a few episodes <laughs> when he beats the shit out of someone with his cane. I'd like to point out that did work and it got him the girl. <laughs> so say what you want about his methods but he was trying to get the girl to like him to beat the shit out of someone with the cane and she was like "Ooh, i'm into that so oh no that's that's oh we're talking later. about different we're one? talking about different times that rumple silkskin mr gold beats the shit out of someone with a cane sometimes you gotta let people know that you were in charge <laughs> right like you just gotta make an example out of people sometimes that is what it is. he walks around with a cane if you don't have a cane you're not whooping somebody's ass I and mean, what's the point of walking around with a cane 
I think that... But he didn't threaten it. He just did it. He's a man of action. He did. He just did Yeah, he doesn't say, right. I'm going to beat you up. He's just like, huh, all right. And then he starts whooping his ass with a cane. Yeah, that does occur. I think we've touched on most of the main characters. We'll obviously learn more through the through the flashbacks about a lot. Like, we don't know anything about David Prince Charming at this point. I don't think at this point we know anything about anyone other than what happened at the wedding. Yep. We know Emma. We know her, like, immediate backstory. We don't really know what happened to her and her foster. Um, we don't know anything about Rumple. We don't really know why Regina's mad at this point. We just know that she's angry. I don't think... Yeah, this one just kind of set up who they are. They haven't set up why they are yet. But it got me... I want to watch more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This... For, again, all... That synopsis had to go through all those things. And this is, what, an hour-long show? So, let's say 47 minutes worth of television? That was good work. You set up all these characters in 47 minutes, and it's a lot. What's the closing scene again? What's the last thing that we walk away from in this scene? The clock moves forward. Yeah. That's my... I think that's my favorite moment in the episode. Henry really believed that... Emma, like he got Emma there. Emma decided to stay, and the clock ticks forward. Hmm. We know that something is going to happen. Time is not frozen anymore. I do, I do. I think that's my second favorite moment. What's your favorite moment in the episode? Mister Gold appearing behind Emma. Okay. It yep. set it sets the tone for exactly who he is. Like when even when you don't think he's involved, he's involved. I think my other. I'm a. I love music. The music in the show is great. I love Snow and Charming's yep. musical theme, and you yep. hear it for the first time. When Snow is, or sorry, not Snow, Mary Margaret is volunteering at the hospital and she sees John Doe uh, in a coma and you you start to hear the music and it sort of like gives you that uh, audio cue that like this is, they don't know each other, but they will. That is like if you said describe hope in a theme, it'd be like that theme. Yeah. That it like that is two people coming together. Hope and happiness. It is quite nice. What's your vote for most ridiculous moment in this episode? Everything involving Henry getting to Emma. Yep, I, the, I agree. This is a show with curses. This is a show that eventually will include magic and fairy tales. Someone's going to need to explain to me how this 10-year-old boy pulled this off without anybody noticing. And I think there was an easy way to do it, which is Mr. Gold was in the background kind of helping him. That's the only way that makes sense to me. He, mm. Because, as you will find out later, he needs something from this. And he's the only person with enough pull to say, nobody say a word. That extra thing would have been like, I don't care what you see. If he's off to do it, leave it alone. Interesting. Which would explain why Archie, for example, would come across him and go, oh yeah, I got to leave this alone. It's kind of amazing. Obviously, I've watched the show many, many times. Every time I watch it, I pick up something new. The last time I watched it, I picked up something between Regina and Gold that I hadn't noticed before, which we can talk about in a couple episodes. But, um, oh. you, like, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of little things. The writers really planted a lot of stuff, and for the most part, they answer questions. They yeah. answer the they answer the questions they raise. They probably, don't always make sense, but probably answer them too quickly. I would mm -hmm. argue. I yep. think they could have drawn it out. Maybe another season. At least at least another season. Okay. So we said we'd pick a winner of the episode. Roger, who would you pick as the winner of this episode? There's an unquestioned winner, and it's Henry. Oh. Wow. By I far. agree. By far. He he is the one who basically plays his own little Mr. Gold and is the puppet master and orchestrates all of the events. He sneaks out of town. He convinces Emma, who at this point doesn't know him and once she realizes who is it doesn't really want to be with him to not only come back but then to stay and gets the clock to move i mean that's that's as big a victory as you're gonna see in this show i completely agree i mean he he believed in a book and like his belief made all of this happen 
and he somehow found his mom from locked juvenile records. I, that's magic. That's magic is what that is. I Again, this 10-year-old is a prodigy. He's a prodigy. I mean, he's he's the product of the product of true love. see i don't know if that works if you weren't the product yourself of true love like does it just skip a generation because i wouldn't argue emma and the father are true love no but emma is the product of true love just the product but i mean he's half he's half true love because like as we find out, the father is definitely not a product of true love. Like, whatever the yeah. opposite of true love is, is definitely what the father is a product of. Yep, that's definitely true. But yeah, agreed. Henry is the winner. Henry is our Henry is our magical winner. He is up one to nothing. And he's going to probably win a few more episodes. Definitely. Especially later. Yeah, definitely later. Yeah. Uh, well, we're looking forward to season two. What are you, or not season two, episode two, also looking forward to season two. What are you most looking forward to, Roger? My burning questions are why? Why is Regina so angry? Like that was my number one question when I watched this. Why does this woman hate Snow White so much? What on earth happened in their past that makes her want to just destroy, literally say I'm going to destroy, oh no, I'm sorry, that was to Emma. Um, but why she cast the curse. I, and Mr. Gold, what is his involvement in all this, right? He's just kind of the creepy character in the background. But those two, I want to know why they are the way they are. Snow and Charming, I kind of guessed we're going to get around to. But Regina and Gold were kind of my two burning questions. Or what do they have to do with this? And I want to know what they know, right? How much are they awake? How much are they impacted by the curse? Are they both awake? Are they both asleep? Those kind of things. Those would be my questions. Yep, those are all good questions that I have myself had, especially the, why is Regina so angry? Like, especially because from what we know, like, the evil queen hates Snow White because she's the fairest of them all. Because she's prettier than her. Yeah, because she's prettier than her. Um, so I'm imagining in this reimagining that we're going to get something different this time, and we will. Uh, and I also really want to know what's going to happen with Emma. She wasn't going to stay at all. And then she said she would stay for a week. Like, what's she going to do? Like, how is she going to help Henry from this woman that says that she wants to destroy her? I am very curious to see what happens there. And I don't know. I think I identify with Emma a little bit, like the way that she deals with emotions. Uh, and as a logical person, I do not know how she is going to come to grips with that this is actually true and that Henry is not crazy. When you say deal with, that's like in quotations with a side note of ignores them completely and hopes they go away. Yep. yep. Got it. Just like that. Okay. Just like that. Just like that. All right. Well, we will, we will be back to talk about episode two. And we look forward to... Uh, hearing from you about what you want to talk about. And we will see you next week. See you next week.